to The People's Scientist, the podcast dedicated to helping us optimize our health with the latest scientific findings on nutrition, health, and medicine. I, your host, Dr. Stephanie Caligiuri, will be here with you every single week, bringing us information to ignite our thinking to help us be one step closer to the healthiest we can be. Hello, my People Scientist Army, and welcome back for the 15th episode on the People Scientist Podcast. I hope you all had an awesome weekend. Last weekend, I had a fantastic Memorial Day long weekend, so thank you for letting me take last weekend off. But are you all ready to learn some more science? Today's episode is actually a listener request. One of my listeners, Vanessa, requested that I cover the scientific evidence on kombucha. I feel kombucha is a very polarized topic. Based on the evidence, people will say currently kombucha is either praised as the ultimate health drink or is deemed as an unsafe medicinal tea. So which one is it? Well, let's keep listening on to find out. Let's start off with a few core takeaways. Kombucha tea is essentially a fermented tea that is slightly bubbly and acidic. It has been around for a very long time across the world, but it has become very trendy in the last few years in North America. There are many health claims being made about kombucha by the public, but in truth, the clinical evidence looking at the health benefits of kombucha is non-existent. There are animal studies to support some benefits of kombucha, but you're definitely going to want to listen on to hear what I think of these animal studies. In truth, the most clinical um, evidence about kombucha are case studies in which people report serious side effects to specifically improperly homemade kombucha. But why and how is this happening? So with that being said, let's get into the details. Kombucha tea, as I said, is slightly acidic and bubbly. It is made by adding sugar, typically to black or green tea. And then this tea is fermented over several days with a symbiotic culture of acetic acid bacteria and yeast, otherwise abbreviated and popularly called a SCOBY. After several days of fermenting the tea, the bacteria and yeast turn the sugar into alcohol and organic acids. During this fermentation process, a thick film forms on top of the tea that's called a pellicle, and this is primarily produced by the bacterial strain Acetobacter xylenum. So the reason we are talking about kombucha today is because this fermented tea has become very trendy in the last several years and many claims are being made on social media or in the public about its health benefits. Not only can you find kombucha regularly in stores now, but it's also becoming very popular to make kombucha at home. I have heard several health claims being made about kombucha, including that it can prevent or treat cancer, can treat heart disease, type 2 diabetes, detoxify your blood, help inflammatory bowel disease, and help you lose weight. But is there any evidence behind these claims? Let's find out. First off, to understand if kombucha has any health benefit, we first need to understand what is in kombucha. A review by Yabalan in 2013 compiled a lot of data on kombucha in one review. In this paper, they detailed the average composition of kombucha. Now, keep in mind that there is a lot of variation in the composition of kombucha because it depends on your starting bacterial and yeast culture, the type of tea leaves you use, how much sugar you added, and how long you ferment the tea. But nevertheless, an average chemical analysis of kombucha showed 
that there is still the presence of sugar, despite a lot of it being converted into organic acid and alcohol. And there obviously are a lot of organic acids, primarily acetic, gluconic, glucuronic, citric, and lactic acid, and a much smaller amount of other acids. There is obviously still sucrose, but there's also some glucose and fructose that has been broken up. There are some B vitamins, primarily from the yeast, a little bit of vitamin C, some antioxidant polyphenols, and yes, there is alcohol in kombucha. We have found anywhere from 0.7 to 1.3% alcohol in some store-bought kombucha. There are also have been some reports that kombucha had to be removed from shelves because it had a higher alcohol percentage than what it reported. So if you are pregnant, trying to become pregnant, or breastfeeding, or can't drink alcohol for a multitude of reasons, it is suggested not to drink kombucha because of the presence of alcohol. As I mentioned, the composition of kombucha can vary, wild, can vary wildly. For example, Sriamula in 2000 noted that longer fermentation can produce higher levels of acid, like acetic acid. And if people are consuming a lot of very acidic kombucha, it can pose some very high health risks, some serious health risks, such as metabolic acidosis or irritation of the throat and gastrointestinal tract. Of course, kombucha would also contain many bacteria and yeast because of the fermentation process. And I think this is why it gained a lot of popularity because probiotic fermented products may have some health benefit. But the most abundant bacteria in kombucha are acetobacter and gluconobacter. The basic bacterium is Acetobacter xylenum. Interestingly, this particular bacterial strain is what produces the pellicle, which is the thick scoby film that is produced on top of the tea drink fer fermentation. It's really interesting because this pellicle produced by that bacterial strain is actually being studied for its ability to act as a wound dressing or secondary skin in order to heal skin burns or other wounds. So it begs the question then, if this SCOBY film or pellicle produced by Acetobacter xylenum is beneficial for skin wounds, does this bacteria grow well in our intestines and does it continue to produce this pellicle material in small amounts in our intestines? Well, no one knows. No one's investigated that yet. We do know that this particular bacterial strain can grow very well in slightly acidic environments, so it probably flourishes quite well in the upper part of our small intestine called the duodenum, and it probably grows in the large intestine where it is slightly acidic. If it produces this pellicle film-like material in our intestines, is this beneficial? You know, potentially acting as a protective layer? Is it harmful somehow, causing an immune reaction? Or does it have no effect at all, and, and simply the pellicle material that's produced there, is it simply eliminated from the body? No one knows. But this would be a very interesting experiment to conduct. But the bacterial strains that are in kombucha are not viewed as probiotic bacteria, meaning they aren't known to induce any health benefit. These bacterial strains are not known to be pathogenic either, though, meaning that they are not known to cause illness. However, I will note that some store-bought kombucha do specifically add known probiotic bacterial strains. You just need to read the label, and if they have added, for example, a lactobacilli strain, it may contain probiotics that may have health benefit. I wish I had all the answers for you on the health effects of the bacterial strains that are present in kombucha, but the reality is that acetobacter and gluconobacter have not been well investigated for their health effects when consumed regularly. 
But in addition to the bacterial strains that are present in kombucha, there are many yeast species as well. A broad spectrum of yeasts have been reported, including species of Saccharomyces and Saccharomyces and Candida. So here's an important distinction to make. Kombucha can contain live yeast, which is not typically consumed in a North American diet. Yeast in our diet, it tends to be heat deactivated. Even nutritional yeast that many people eat if they follow a vegan or plant-based diet in order to obtain B vitamins, that yeast is also heat deactivated. Beer, for example, which is made with yeast, is very often filtered to remove the yeast. Otherwise, the fermentation process would continue in the bottle or can unless it's deactivated. Typically, kombucha sold in stores would also have to be filtered or the yeast would have to be deactivated in order to prevent the fermentation process in the bottle as well. So if you're making it at home and you're not filtering the tea or you're not deactivating the yeast, then you are consuming more active yeast than the store-bought. So if someone is consuming a lot of active yeast, there could be some potential side effects. They likely would have some bloating and flatulence as gas is produced from active yeast, and the individual may also suffer from yeast growth in their body. So it might be a good idea to filter the kombucha or heat deactivate it if you are buying or if you are making it at home. But if you are filtering it or buying store-bought kombucha that has been filtered, then there's a less chance of these side effects from happening. But nevertheless, even if it is filtered, there are small amounts of yeast that are live that are still present in kombucha. So here's the thing. Some of the yeasts that are present in kombucha may be beneficial and some may not be. For example, the yeast strain Saccharomyces is present in kombucha, and Guslandi and colleagues in the year 2000 reported that live Saccharomyces boulardii specifically, when supplemented of one gram per day, reduced relapse in patients with Crohn's disease from 37% to 6%. So this yeast strain could have very beneficial effects in patients with Crohn's disease. However, the Candida species is also known to be in kombucha, and this strain of yeast we know is quite pathogenic. This is the yeast that causes oral thrush, vaginal yeast infections, and can contribute to intestinal yeast, gro yeast growth and digestive issues. There is no data to support that drinking kombucha can increase the risk of yeast growth in the body, but it is very possible particularly if you're someone that already suffers from yeast infections or if your immune system is compromised. So what data exists out there on the benefits of kombucha? Some reports show that kombucha has antimicrobial properties against both gram-positive and gram-negative bacteria because they cannot grow in slightly acidic environments. The antimicrobial activity on kombucha tea is largely due to the presence of organic acids such as acetic acid that is present in vinegar. And when it comes to the health benefits of kombucha, the clinical data does not exist. A great review was just published on kombucha by Cap and colleagues in the journal Annals of Epidemiology that also concludes essentially just that. The clinical data doesn't exist to support these health claims. Cap was able to find one clinical study looking at blood sugar levels after drinking kombucha that was published by Higher Math in 2002 in the journal Indian Practitioner. But unfortunately, this journal is not indexed or available in any of our Mount Sinai libraries, so I cannot assess the quality of the data for all of you, unfortunately, and Cap didn't mention the results of this paper either. 
However, there are several animal studies that have investigated the health effects of kombucha. So let's go through the animal studies. But one thing I want to mention is that as I read through all of the animal studies, to be honest, many of them were not properly designed, unfortunately. Even some of the reviews of the animal studies tend to make over-exaggerated claims. The unfortunate reality is that not all science is good science. But that is why I am here, to weed through all of this science for all of you. For example, many of the studies investigating the health benefits of kombucha used mice and rats, which are not good animals to test carbonated beverages on because rodents are not able to burp or expel the gas from their stomach. A couple of the studies did degas the kombucha, but the majority did not. We know that when rodents consume carbonated beverages, it makes them ill because they can't expel the gas easily. So this would be a big confounder for all of those studies that did not degas the kombucha. A second reason why these animal studies were not very well designed is because a lot of the time the control group was a group of mice or rats that were just provided water. With food, of course, too, but instead of kombucha, they were provided water. This is not a good control to compare against, as kombucha contains sugar and calories. So just simply making any sweetened beverage available to rodents can have significant changes to their health and behavior. The ideal control group would have provided a slightly sweetened beverage, uh, slightly sweetened water without any of the bacteria, yeast, antioxidants, or organic acids. So as I go through the data, just keep in mind that the study design was not ideal for these projects and perhaps take the results that I share with you with a grain of salt. Hartman in the year 2000 investigated if kombucha would affect longevity in mice. So this was a study that investigated kombucha drinking over almost three years in mice. One group of mice was provided diluted kombucha and the control group just water, along with regular um, standard mouse chow. They noted that female mice drinking kombucha lived 1.8% longer and the male mice drinking kombucha lived 3.5% longer than the mice drinking water. But is it really that big of a difference? I think that the authors kind of overconcluded the results. I'm not so sure it was that big of a difference because for mice, it's only a handful of days difference. Kombucha did seem to reduce food intake in the mice, but it did not change overall the body weight. This doesn't surprise me because kombucha contains calories. So the control and kombucha group in the end probably still ate the same amount of calories. They concluded that, however, chronically drinking kombucha also contributed to longer spleens and enlarged livers in the mice. This was a bit of a concerning finding as enlarged organs can often be a sign of some type of pathology or disease. However, no research has followed up with the same long-term protocol in order to investigate this further. Srihara in 2013 studied the effects of kombucha on diabetes in rats. In this study, they degassed the kombucha in order to avoid any side effects of the carbonation on the rats, which is good. They noted that about 1.2 milligrams per day of freeze-dried kombucha that was reconstituted in water significantly reduced food intake, blood glucose, that long-term measurement of blood glucose, HbA1c, and kombucha also tended to increase insulin levels. They attributed these beneficial effects due to the antioxidants present in kombucha. But there was no evidence that it was the antioxidants that elicited this beneficial effect. It was just a 
hypothesized conclusion by the scientists. I would argue that the benefit of the blood glucose lowering properties of kombucha is probably due to the organic acids in the beverage. As there's a lot of clinical data showing that acetic acid that is present in apple cider vinegar or other types of vinegars are known to reduce appetite and blood glucose levels. And I had covered a lot of this clinical data several weeks back on the apple cider vinegar episode. A handful of animal studies also show that kombucha could reduce oxidative stress and has some antioxidant capacity in rodents. But in truth, black tea and green tea have great antioxidant potential as well. And some of the data actually shows that there's not much difference between the antioxidant potential of regular tea versus fermented tea. Yabalan in the journal Food Chemistry in 2008 assessed essentially this. They measured the antioxidant properties of kombucha tea before and throughout the fermentation process. They noted that the fermentation process slightly increased the concentration of antioxidants in the tea, probably due to the production of vitamin C. However, when comparing unfermented tea to fermented tea, the fermented tea had a slightly better impact on preventing lipid peroxidation, but the unfermented tea had a slightly better result for scavenging of free radicals. If you remember from my previous episodes, I talked about how lipids can become peroxidized from heating them or from free radicals, and this is bad because it can contribute to heart disease, aging, and cancer, and antioxidants can help prevent this. So does kombucha have a better antioxidant capacity versus regular tea? Well, yes and no, depends on which test you look at. But in the end, I would say that they appear to be fairly similar. So if you are hearing that kombucha has many health benefits, just know that there is not any strong data to support any of these health claims. People might be making these claims because of how they feel when they start drinking kombucha. And it's not to say that there is no health benefit to kombucha because maybe the studies just haven't been conducted yet. And it just means that there is no evidence to support the claims right now. But we do know, know that kombucha contains some organic acids and antioxidants. So we can extrapolate from there and say that we know that, for example, acetic acid and antioxidants may have some clinical health benefit. Now, are there any negative effects to drinking kombucha? Unfortunately, yes, there are several case studies reporting that homemade kombucha was implicated, but not necessarily proven in serious illnesses such as liver or kidney failure, and in a couple cases was implicated even in death. The FDA says that pregnant and lactating women should not consume kombucha because it is known to contain small amounts of alcohol. And there are some case reports showing serious effects, and we do not know the effects of kombucha on children or babies. Because kombucha can be acidic, depending on how long it is fermented, people with kidney insufficiency or kidney failure should not consume very large amounts of kombucha, as it is harder for them to clear the acid from their blood, and they may be at risk for metabolic acidosis. Individuals that are immune compromised, such as those living with HIV or AIDS, or are receiving an organ transplantation, should also be wary of consuming kombucha with live yeast and bacteria as their immune system may not be able to fight off an overgrowth of these bacterial and yeast species. The majority of the negative health effects of kombucha have been reported due to homemade kombucha. For example, in 1995 in the journal JAMA, cases of unexplained severe illness, including one death, occurred in two people who had been drinking kombucha tea daily for approximately two months. 
Both patients presented with severe metabolic acidosis, meaning that they had way too much acid in their blood. In 2014, a 47-year-old female patient was hospitalized and had consumed daily ounces of kombucha tea. During her hospitalization, she was diagnosed with toxic hepatitis or liver toxicity. Because of the acidity of kombucha tea, it should not be prepared or stored in containers made from materials such as ceramic or lead crystal or containers that have been painted on the inside or even plastics for that matter, which can contain toxic elements that can leach into the tea. Because there are several medical reports that people who made kombucha at home and stored it in ceramic containers had lead poisoning and gastrointestinal toxicity. In a couple of reports, anthrax was noted to be present in the starting culture of some kombucha teas. And anthrax we know is, know is a very toxic bacterial strain. Further, Gamundi and Valdivia in 1995 stated the risks of consuming kombucha, kombucha beverage in HIV-positive patients. They noted side effects such as allergic reactions, jaundice, nausea, vomiting, and head and neck pain related to consuming kombucha, and they had noted this in four patients. A case of acute kidney failure with lactic acidosis and hyperthermia within 15 hours of consuming kombucha tea was noted in a 22-year-old HIV-positive male. However, all of these cases were very isolated and involved only a small number of individuals. It appears that the risk is associated with homemade kombucha that is either not made or stored correctly. So if you are making kombucha at home, please make sure that you make it in a very sterile condition. Make sure that you sterilize your containers by boiling it in water for a long period of time. Store it in the fridge, preferably in a glass container, and make sure that your starting culture is from a very reputable source. It is suggested that consuming four ounces of kombucha daily, if prepared correctly, is safe in individuals with a healthy immune system and regular kidney function. But again, kombucha ingestion may be contraindicated in pregnant breastfeeding women, women trying to become pregnant, in children, in patients with immune system compromisation, and in those with kidney failure or insufficiency. So there you have it. There is the scientific evidence on the very trendy, bubbly, and fermented tea kombucha. In brief summary, there is no strong clinical evidence to support the health benefits of kombucha tea. Kombucha contains many bacteria and yeast strains, which may or may not have health benefit. The verdict is still out. Unless companies are specifically adding a known probiotic bacteria, then it may have some health benefit. We do know that kombucha does contain some antioxidant polyphenols and organic acids. So if we want to extrapolate the data from there, we could say that potentially kombucha may have benefit for helping regulate blood glucose levels and reducing oxidative stress, but this has not been directly studied. But if you don't want to drink kombucha and you still want the benefits, the potential benefits, you can get antioxidant polyphenols in your diet, for example, from coffee, green tea, or black tea. Additionally, if you want the benefit of organic acids in order to reduce blood glucose levels, you can add a small amount such as 10 milliliters or two teaspoons of apple cider vinegar to your tea or water. I covered this topic of apple cider vinegar and diabetes a few weeks back if you are interested and want to give that a listen. Lastly, there are a handful of case studies showing that 
very negative health consequences of improperly homemade or stored kombucha. So please take great caution with this. If any new data comes out on kombucha health benefits, I will make sure to update all of you. I hope you all enjoyed today's episode. I have given you the scientific evidence, so now it is up to you to do with it what you will. If you want some extra information about the week's episode or to see what my life is like as a scientist in a lab, then you can follow me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. So until next week's episode, I hope you all have a super healthy week, and I will meet you back here in the same time and the same place on the People Scientist Podcast. I am a scientist simply sharing scientific evidence. Some of the clinical interventions I discuss are not appropriate for everyone. Before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle, please do consult the advice of your physician or dietitian. My opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect those of Mount Sinai Hospital and its affiliates.